This morning, we're going to continue our series that we have been in for the last several weeks called Praying the Bible. And I know some of you guys have gotten this book uh, from Pastor Craig, Pastor Renee, as the weeks have gone on. And so today, another lucky, blessed person will receive one to take home. So I'll be honest, this is my first time in a series like this. Um, I actually don't remember a time in my life where I've actually sat through a series like this where you specifically pray the prayers of the Bible. I've certainly never taught in a series like this before. So this is like all new for me and I've really enjoyed it, taking some kind of like some commonplace scriptures, we look at them like that, um, and kind of dissecting them and drawing the, the good stuff, the more good stuff out of them and some of the more complex ones and just really beginning to understand them. And so it's been a cool series. And I think that, um, yeah, we all have just like gained some knowledge and understanding over the last few weeks. The passage um, that I actually chose, I think it's been mentioned that there was a list of uh, different scriptures that we could choose as a team. And so we kind of went through and took what we felt the Lord placing on our hearts. Um, the passage I chose today is out of Ephesians, and it's chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And this is one of my favorite, favorite passages. And I, I'll be honest, I'll give myself away. When I saw it, I was like, oh, I know that one pretty well. I, I, I'm comfortable with that one. So I can like you know, make it work or whatever. But how many of you know when you get into the scriptures and you really start to go through it, you're like, oh man, there's so much more here. There's so much more here, right? Than I thought. So I'm going to go ahead and read. Again, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And it says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the, into the true knowledge of him. For we know the Father through the Son. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with delight by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, which are God's people, and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he produces in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. We could just go home, right? Self-explanatory. And as I prepared, I had a thought like, man, this is going to be the shortest message of my life. I don't even know what else to say. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help. But we'll go through it a little bit, and I'll dissect uh, a few pieces of it for you this morning. So this is actually Paul's prayer to the believers, uh, the saints in Ephesus. And he, is, he says at the beginning of the chapter 1 um, that these believers are faithful, and they're loyal, and they're steadfast in the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 15 that we read. He said, I've heard of your faith and your love for the Lord. So I think that this is probably one of the reasons that he was so thankful. These people were loyal. They were faithful. They were committed. They were probably pretty easy to be thankful for, you know, like truthfully. I would imagine they're much like a lot of people in, in this room. You're loyal. You're faithful. You love Jesus. That's why we love you. That's why we're thankful for you, right? <laughs> the, but the saints in Ephesus were obviously some amazing people because Paul was super, super thankful for them. This prayer, um, this passage in Ephesians is actually apostolic in nature, which means that it's not, um, not a casual prayer. This actually was meant to be prayed with the same weight and with the same responsibility that a father would pray for his children. 
So Paul was praying for the saints in Ephesus like a dad would pray for his kids, right? I thought that was really cool. It expresses what a father um, wants for those that he's committed to raising up in the Lord. Like, not on my watch, right? Like, on my watch, this is who they will be. This is what I want for them. It's like if we, as a parent, like I'm a mom, if I went and I wrote down all the desires and the dreams and the hopes and everything I had for my two kids, but then it, you apply it and find these expressions echoed in the scriptures. That's what this prayer was. It wasn't just some casual throw it up and see what comes down thing. This was something that Paul was serious about. Apostolic prayers focus on character, the knowledge of God, and the power of a spirit-filled life. There's nothing casual about that. The book that we've been going through, Praying the Bible, uh, something it says is you cannot pray well when you don't know what you're asking for. We have to know what we're asking for as believers, and uh, we have to know the position that we are praying from. But that's why I kind of uh, wanted to share that this morning, that it's a parental-type role. And there's a few things that Paul mentions as we go through and dissect out this passage. And the first thing he mentions is in verse 17. After he's thankful for everybody, he says uh, he, he actually asked for a spirit of wisdom to come on the believers in Ephesus. And let's remember that he is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to believers here. So as believers, I'm just going to do this really quick. As believers, the moment we come to Christ, our spirit man engages with the spirit of God and we become alive to the things that we were once not alive to, correct? Right? So he's speaking to the believers and saying to them, I want a spirit of wisdom to come over your life. So our spirit responds to the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. So he's saying, I want, I want this to be dropped on you because only a believer could have the spirit of wisdom. Without the spirit of wisdom, we just have an understanding. We have a human understanding. Wisdom is the capacity of the mind that allows us to understand uh, life from God's perspective, not just a worldly standpoint. Wisdom is something to be sought after, the Bible tells us. And, and the beginning, um, I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is where it actually starts for us. We have to, in order to obtain wisdom, we must have reverent fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The reverent fear of the Lord that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome is the beginning and the preeminent part of wisdom, its starting point and its essence, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. So spirit of wisdom is not just given to us. It's actually something that we work towards, that we ask for as believers, that we have to seek after. <clears throat> and we work towards it by having a healthy, biblical fear of the Lord. And I'm not talking about an individual who has somebody in authority over them that is abusive or just creates fear in their life. I'm talking more like a child would have a healthy fear of their parents and because they've been loved and nurtured, because they can be trusted, right? So that's with an honor, a respect, and a regard. That's what a reverent fear is. We're not scared. My kids aren't scared of me. They know that I love them. They know that they can trust me. Proverbs 2 Chapter 2, 2 through 4 says to desire wisdom as well. It says, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you so that your ear is attentive to skillful and godly wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, seeking it consciously and striving for it eagerly. Yes, if you cry out for insight and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek skillful and godly wisdom as you would silver and search for her as you would hidden treasure, 
then you'll understand the reverent fear of the Lord. So here the, it tells us how to desire wisdom, how to do it. Rece- first of all, receive his words. Apply your heart to understanding. Cry out for the insight that you need to have. This is what Paul is saying. You need to cry out for it. He's, he's praying these things so that the believers would cry out for wisdom. They would lift up their voices for understanding. Seek for it as you would silver, something so valuable that you just cannot be without. Hidden treasures. Then we'll start to understand the fear of the Lord, which will bring wisdom to our lives. In James 1.5, we're told to pray for it. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. He gives it generously. Simple. Ask and you will receive. We can have all the knowledge in the world and still lack wisdom. I know a lot of smart people that do not carry wisdom because they do not carry Christ. Wisdom is God-given. Knowledge is knowing the facts, but wisdom is seeing from that divine perspective. It's something that we can't make up on our own. So when I pray as a parent for a child in the situation, in this prayer, I'm not asking for them to just be knowledgeable, although that's important. I want them to understand the facts of the matter, the the facts of where they are and what they're going through, uh, because that's important. But I'm actually praying that in the depth of their being, they would have heaven's perspective. That's what Paul's praying here. Give them the wisdom, a spirit of wisdom, that they would have heaven's perspective over their life and over the situations that they encounter. That they would have uh, come to a place where they would have a healthy fear of the Lord as believers, that a desire for wisdom would be expressed and that they would have asked for it, they would have prayed for it, they would have really looked for wisdom. And because they've done these things um, and seek for true understanding, they would walk in godly wisdom. We have to do our part to get to the God part. We can't skip it. The second thing that Paul mentions in verse 17 is that spirit of revelation. And I can't tell you how many times just at work I'm walking around praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. <laughs> you go to Walmart and pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But how many of you know that we'll only grow and thrive at a level of which we ourselves have had divine revelation? We have things that you know that God has just revealed to you. He has just kind of dumped it on you, and you're like, oh, that blew my mind. And then we think, well, everybody should know that. But our capacity to take people deeper depends on our own revelation, what God has shown us. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I cannot take you to places where I've not been. That's why it is so important for me and the people that I will oversee or, you know, come in contact with, to, for me to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper because I can't take you to a place that's not been revealed to me yet. I can't give you what I don't have. And what I do, what I have been given in Revelation is actually mine. And so, therefore... I can't uh, just give it to you, although impartation is a whole different ballgame. But the revelation that God has given to me, I can't just pour it on you. So it's something that has to be prayed for. It's something that has to be looked for. It's something that has to be really um, caught from the Lord. I can teach you. I can help you understand, but I can't give it to you. It's something that only the Lord can do. And so that's what Paul is praying here. Lord, also give them just that, drop that spirit of revelation. Let them see things clearly, see things differently over their lives. Only the work of the Holy Spirit can reveal the things that are unseen. You know, I can tell you God loves you. I can tell you he desires good things for you. You're forgiven. You're accepted. All these things. But if you don't, it's not that you don't even believe me. It's that you haven't had that moment for yourself. Then it's kind of all for nothing. It's something that I cannot make you understand. The word revelation actually is a triple compound word. And this is something I found. I certainly did not write this. So, you know, Uh, it's a triple compound word. And the root word Calupus means to conceal or to hide, but the prefix of the word actually means to steal. 
So this word is translated as a veil in the New Testament. It refers to how the enemy steals or blinds the mind of unbelievers. He actually wants to, to keep us captive so we do not have truth. Satan desires to keep God's people in spiritual darkness, to blind their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Revelation means to remove the veil and to expose the truth. Without divine illumination, we would remain blind and ignorant to spiritual things. We don't want to remain blind and we don't want to remain ignorant. Paul didn't want the people and the believers in Ephesus to remain blind and ignorant to the things of the Spirit. He wanted them to understand fully the things that God was doing. Chris Fallerton says, God is not just revealing the truth to us. He's putting a spirit of revelation in us so that we can become co-revealers of truth. That's why we need revelation, so we can partner with the Spirit and partner with what he's doing and help and bring truth along to these dark situations, to things we can't understand, to people's situations that they just cannot grasp, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29 this says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So the, the revelation we receive isn't just for me, although it is for me in my day, in my moment, in my lifetime, but the revelation that I receive is to be somewhat passed down. It is to be prayed for so that my children have their own revelation and their own moments with the Lord and their own things that they pass on to their children one day. It is imperative that we pray for a spirit of revelation to those around us. The depth of revelation we have digs deeper wells in the kingdom to reach uh, each generation new encounters with God or had because of revelation. When he reveals himself to us, we step into something new and different with him every time. Every time. Nothing is new. Or, I'm sorry, nothing is old. Revelation is a direct link to heaven's secrets. You want to know the secret things of the kingdom? Lean in and ask for that revelation in your secret place, in your quiet time, as you're driving down the freeway. Ask him to reveal things. I had a pastor years ago who would say, if you get close enough to anyone, they will reveal their secrets to you. Isn't that the truth? And it's no different with Father God. No different with the Spirit. So Paul's prayer here for the spirit of wisdom and revelation is like he's interceding for the saints there. He's asking God to reveal the deep things of his heart to the depths of who he is for the sake of generations to come. Paul isn't just praying for these people in front of him. He knows that it has to go on. He knows that it's something that has to be revealed there so it can be revealed in the next generation and so on and so on. He knows what he's doing. Verse 18 goes on to say that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened and flooded with light by the Holy Spirit so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation of which he has called you. And just as Paul has been, he's, he's passionate in this part because I love how he says the very center and core of your being, everything that you are in your heart, in your soul, everything that, I, that God has created you to be, you have to understand this. I pray that he would illuminate, the Holy Spirit would illuminate this to you. He's talking about the hope of his calling. This is talking about our unique calling as believers, as sons and daughters. This is destiny. This is identity that he's pulling out here as he talks about, um, excuse me, uh, talks in this passage. He speaks of the purpose that we were created for. He's saying, God, that they would know at the very core of their being how unique they are, the calling you've placed on their life, the destiny that, I've, that you've placed for them, the identity that you've spoken into them that they would know it at the core of who they are, not just in their minds, but with wisdom and revelation, they would understand who they are supposed to be and who they've been created to be. 
And I know there are times in our lives when, I mean, I experienced it, you know, feeling called into uh, ministry when I was like 15 and life happens and it goes on, you know, and there's, and our young people are, you know, unfortunately, it happens a lot. They feel the call. They know what God's doing. They hear what he's saying. They accept it. And then the next thing you know, a year goes by, two years go by, and they start to question. They start to question. But Paul's praying here that they wouldn't question. He's praying here that there wouldn't even be a doubt. We have a divine guarantee of our calling and the things that God places on our lives. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, 29, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. As we pray as believers from this parental, again, this apostolic parental perspective over those that have been entrusted to us, we may not all be blood, but we've been entrusted to one another, right? As the body of Christ, as the kingdom of God, we are entrusted to one another. So as we pray for one another, we pray that no one would ever doubt the calling that's on their life. No one would ever doubt the purpose that God has placed over you. That you would stand firm and know that whatever that thing is God has, has placed in you would be seen to completion. That's what we're praying for here. That's what Paul was praying. That hearts would stay soft to see the call complete. That hearts wouldn't be allowed to be hardened. They wouldn't be allowed to uh, be led astray. That it's theirs. That it's yours. It's a free gift that nobody and no thing can take from you. Because Romans says it's irrevocable. That people would stand confidently expecting the things that God has in store for them as they walk out their identity. What's in store for me may not be in store for you, and that's okay. But what is in store for you is what matters. And that's what, what... we're praying for. That's what we're believing. The Father is going to draw out through identity and purpose and that, that we would know he's faithful. He's faithful to complete the work that he started. Verse 18 also goes on to mention the glorious inheritance that we have in the kingdom. Paul is talking about what we are reborn into. As we accept Christ, we're reborn. The first obvious inheritance that we take as believers is heaven, right? I'm not going to get super into that at all, but it's heaven. That's our grand prize. That's the, the goal, right? That's our blessed hope is that we know that one day we will spend eternity with him. But one other part of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. As believers, this is something that has been passed to us. John 14, 16 says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, a standby to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is part of our grand inheritance, this glorious inheritance that the scripture talks about. It's given to us as believers. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Guys, we were bought with a great price to belong to a great inheritance. A consecrated nation, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. You are his and he is yours. If that's not like mind-blowing, it should be. That we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It speaks of that in Hebrews 12. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our God is an all-consuming fire. He is over everything all the time, 
all, like it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what's happening in our world, what's happening in our lives. He is all-consuming all the time. Nothing is out of his reach. Nothing is too far gone. No person, no thing, no diagnosis. Nothing is too far gone because he is all-consuming and his kingdom is unshakable. Verse 19 goes on to, continues, and it says, So you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. And I think it's funny that towards the end of the passage, Paul says, now you're going to start to know. You're going to have a moment, and you're going to kind of start to understand what God's doing here. Because it's like there's purposefully been things left unknown. And there will be. Because the Lord is a great, beautiful mystery. Who he is is just, he's so big and so vast that we will never be able to understand him in our human minds. And I just think it's funny that Paul says that. You'll begin to know the greatness of the power that's in us that raised Jesus from the dead. All these, all these things. <laughs> look for wisdom. Look for revelation. This is your grand inheritance. The Holy Spirit. The kingdom that can't be shaken. All these things. And he's like, now you're going to start to get it. <laughs> right? Like, I just think it's so funny. After all of that, after the, the prayer that Paul prays, the believers at Ephesus, us, we still have to ask. We still have to seek. We still have to knock for the things of the kingdom and look after the things of God. He is a beautiful, beautiful mystery. If you think you understand him, you are wrong, first of all. And don't try to understand him. Let him be God. Let him be beautifully mysterious in your life. Allow him to do only things that he can do. So as we pray this passage out of Ephesians, the today and the now, we're praying for the body of believers, the body of Christ. We're asking for wisdom to be desired and prayed for, for it to be really sought after, something that is um, sought out in this world above just understanding. We're praying for a spirit of revelation so that a veil can be lifted. How many know we have veils that have been dropped on culture, dropped on generations that need to be torn, that need to be ripped off violently in some, in some ways? We're praying for those things, that revelation to come, veils to be lifted, and the secrets of heaven to be made known here on the earth, here and now. That is the, the spirit of revelation that we are to pray for, as Paul did. That the hope of their calling would be understood and sealed. We can understand something, but until it's sealed by the word of God, by his, his spirit within us, it, it's, we can, not that we can lose it, because Romans says we can't lose it, but we can lose sight of it. So that we would, we're praying that it would be not only understood, but sealed in their hearts and in their spirits for identity to be established. How many of you know we have people, so many people, walking around day-to-day -day life that have no idea who they are? They have no idea the identity. They have no idea the price they were bought with. And so they fumble around life looking for everything else. We need believers. I'm not even talking about the world. We need believers that know who they are. I know too many believers that don't know who they are. And they fumble and they flounder because they have no clue who they've been created to be and what their purpose is in this world. The truth of the inheritance that we've been given would be gripped and held on too tightly. The Holy Spirit would be held on too tightly. The gift of heaven would be held on too tightly. An unshakable kingdom, a God that is all-consuming, all those things would be held on to and gripped that nothing would be able to take it from us, from 
our body, the body of Christ, that they would begin to understand the power that lives in them. Just begin to understand it. Just a little bit. That's what we're asking for. This morning, I want to ask my son to join me for just a few minutes. He loves this, just so you know. But he willingly said yes to me. So I appreciate him. So, because this scripture is apostolic in nature, because it's actually meant to be from a, a parental perspective, I wanted to demonstrate a little bit of what it looks like when a parent in a spiritual authority that is invested prays a prayer over their, my son, but we are the family of God. So when you pray over another believer, what this is, what this is like. So you can close your eyes because it's weird if you look at me. So when I pray for my son, obviously I have a different investment in him. He's my kid. I know him better than probably, you know, a lot of people. But when I look at my son and I pray this prayer over him and I say, ever since I heard that you accepted Jesus into your heart, ever since you were born, Nate, I'm so thankful for you. I watch the way you love people, and I just am so grateful for who you are. My prayer for you, son, is that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would rest on your shoulders all the days of your life, that you would have a, a wisdom far beyond understanding in this world, that the revelation of who God is to you would far surpass anything he has given me. God, that he would never forget his glorious inheritance, that he would always know who he is, that he would always walk in the calling that you've placed on his life, and that nothing would shake him from it. Father, that your goodness would follow him forever. God, I'm so thankful for my son. I'm so thankful that you entrusted him to me. Amen, right? So there's something different. There's something that is, is you can go. But there is something special and there is something different when a parent puts their hands on their children. There is something there in special. Uh, there is something special and different when we as believers put our hands on each other with an investment and uh, a, this divine encounter with one another that says, "I'm praying for you like I pray for my family. I'm praying for you in the same way that Paul prayed for these believers that he loved, that he was thankful for." There's a difference there. I can pray for anybody in this room casually. But it's quite different to say, God, that you would let a spirit of wisdom and revelation rest on Casey this morning. That's different. That's different than Lord bless her. Nothing's wrong with that either. But there's something different. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning as we read that scripture together. I'm going to ask you to hold hands with whoever's next to you. If you need to come together into rows, that's fine too. And I really want us to pray this prayer together. And I want us to pray it like we mean it. Like the person that's standing to your left and to your right is, is your investment in the kingdom. And like you care for them, like you would care for your own children or somebody, if you don't have children, that's fine. Just somebody that, um, that you love deeply and dearly. So we're going to pray this together. Can you go through it? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And that end verse speaks of the authority. That's the authority when he went to the right hand of the Father that we pray for each other with authority. So I want to bless us this morning. And then I'm going to give away a book, actually. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. And I ask, Lord, that as we go, we would know that the greatest investments around us are those around us. God, and that we would pray for people like we mean it. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.